Welcome to Asia Rising, a podcast from Latrobe, Asia, where we discuss news, views, and general happenings of Asian states and societies. I'm your host, Matt Smith. Chinese Communist Party Congress has begun in Beijing and opened with an address from General Secretary Xi Jinping, the country's most powerful leader in decades. Xi gave himself a glowing report card and set an ambitious agenda for his second term, keeping a captive audience of delegates entranced for 205 minutes. Here to discuss the minutiae of his monologue is Professor Nick Bisley, Executive Director of Latrobe Asia. Thanks for joining me, boss. Pleased to be here, peon. (laughs) Pleb, thank you. Nick, uh, there was a distinct impression in Xi's address that China was on the cusp of something great. Before we wade into the specifics, what was your impression during it and after it concluded, uh, aside from the fact that you had a bit of bladder strain? Yeah, long. Yeah. (laughs) It was very, very long. Not normally quite so long, not normally quite so detailed. So if you care to go back and watch the full three hours and 25 minutes, whatever it is, There's long laundry lists of stuff, uh, of achievements, of things that are going to be done from sport to moral campaign. So it was sort of an odd one. But the tone was striking in the sense of being not just really confident, but very ambitious and unapologetically ambitious. So the previous approach that has dominated the way China has presented what it is doing to itself and to the outside world has always been couched very much in a kind of level of humility and caution, both because, you know, the party doesn't want to set expectations too high and fail to deliver them, but also there's been this general approach to the outside world, particularly to international affairs, that's been about keeping a low profile, taking your time, Mm. partly not wanting to scare the pigeons. You know, if this country of 1.3 billion people and the second largest economy in the world makes confident-sounding noises, they know people are going to get uneasy. But now they don't need to be that timid, and they're not exactly a toddler amongst pigeons, which is an analogy I can now give you because my toddler loves chasing them, but they can at least you know, strut confidently amongst the world stage. There's no sense of caution. Yeah, I think she even used the term, this is a period of strategic opportunity for China. Mm. The party's long had what they call the two centenary goals. The first centenary being the 100 years of the establishment of the Communist Party. So that's 2020s, 100 years. Sure. And that first goal is to be a moderately prosperous society. Tick. Tick. Yeah. Yeah. And then the second goal has hitherto been to have a modern, prosperous socialist society by the second centenary, which is the centenary of the foundation of the PRC, so 2049, you know, she's just saying this is going to happen. More importantly, he didn't just say it's going to happen in the sense that we will be a prosperous socialist society and these sorts of things, mm. but said unambiguously that China will be the leading power in the world in terms of its national power and its international influence. So no qualifications, no moderations, no... Uriah Heap, we're very humble, we're very humble, we're still an emerging market economy. It's over the next three decades, China is going to become number one. Once the address was over, uh, his predecessor, Hu Jintao, pointed to his watch when Xi finished (laughs) and kind of tapped it there. Was the running time of the speech trying to send a message to the Congress as much as the outside world? This is Xi's captive audience. You can sort of overanalyze these things to some degree, but I think it was also... The way I talk it is, here is the commander of the command economy saying, here's what we're going to do. And it's big, it's ambitious, but it's going to take a lot of time to get through because there's a lot to be done in the sense, not just that there's there are lots of steps that have to be taken, but I'm going to show you in painstaking detail all of the different dimensions that we need to work on. So mm. it's not just, we will be an innovative economy. It's, we will be an innovative economy and we will you know, protect intellectual property. We shall open our markets. You know, these long lists of things. And I think it was about saying, 
I'm in charge, we the party's in charge, and we're in charge of this huge work program, and it's big. It's going to take time to lay it all out and tell you what it is. Yeah. Well, the economy was a big focus of what he was talking about, but did you see anything in the terms of sweeping reforms? It just seemed to be business as usual with tweaks at the sides. Oh, no, no. I think there is a statement around economic reform that was right at the heart of it that was interesting and will be very hard for them to achieve. Uh, So that's particularly the idea that the Chinese economy will be opened up and essentially be liberalised. So China at the moment is... In terms of its exports and all of that sort of thing, hugely you know, internationally integrated, but it's very, very difficult for people to come into China and invest and to trade. The economy is quite closed in a lot of respects, and that has been a key part of the party's success. So it's been able to keep things at bay and to control what's going on. Mm. So, for example, because foreign capital finds it very difficult to get into China, when there's crises in global financial markets, they don't happen to China directly because the capital's not allowed in, so it can't run out the door. So they've said we're going to open up all these aspects of our economy, which would be huge if they did. And this is where already people are kind of going, okay, Xi, you've got these big ambitions, but in your first five years, you have committed to 300 items of economic reform laid out in a 2013 uh, meeting on which he's delivered on about two his actual economic reform kind of scorecard, if you like, so far has not been particularly strong. You wouldn't know that from his address, though, would no, you? No, of course not. Yeah. <laughs> Some people liken him to Mao uh, in the sense of his capacity to be the commanding figure of the party and also a little bit of the cult of personality seems to be creeping in around the fringes. I say he would liken himself to Mao as well, I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, he would never directly do it. No, you know, He's no. smart enough to know not to yeah. do that. But, you know, the Maoist period was known for its critique and self-critique, and you sort of looked at yourself and pointed out all the problems. She doesn't get into the self-critique side of the equation. Yeah. So what uh, message did he have for the global audience then? He called China's building of artificial islands, for example, in the South China Sea, a highlight of his first five years. So is that a sign of the approach or of things to come that he's going to take? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it's a couple of things. I was struck by how people on social media when he was giving this speech said, oh, I can't believe he's declared this a great achievement. It's like, of course he thinks it's an achievement. Why wouldn't he? Wouldn't you think it was an achievement if you'd done it? (laughs) These are islands that the party have decided are an inalienable part of the South China Sea, an inalienable part of China. And they've gone out into contested territory. This is a maritime domain historically commanded by the the U.S. Navy and the Seventh Fleet. And they've gone and built 3,000 acres worth of islands and deep water ports and three-kilometer runways. You can go on holiday there now. You can go scuba diving. Apparently scuba diving is quite good, by all accounts. And no one did anything about it. I mean, it is an achievement and, and it's a disconcerting one if you're you know, the US Navy or you're the Philippines or a, another claimant country. But more seriously, it's a clear statement that what we've seen over the past five years in terms of an increasingly confident, some would say assertive and aggressive China, isn't going away. That China, more importantly, is not going to be apologetic about what it does. That old, as I said before, that old approach, which was be humble, to be quiet, the phrase that's often used as a sort of bide your time, hide your strength, approach to foreign policy, that's clearly, mm. oh, that, that's gone. And that China is going to defend what it believes is is its own. And, and he said very directly, we will take all measures to protect our sovereignty. We will defeat everyone who seeks to divide us. And in this case, don't forget, division doesn't mean things like the invasion of Beijing or, or Shanghai. Division is Taiwan. Division is Hong Kong. Division is the South China Sea. Mm, yeah, division yeah. is the part of India that the rest of the world says is India, but China believes is China. 
Arunachal Pradesh. So this is a very clear statement of a China that means business internationally. That point that you just made, that got him his biggest applause when he said, uh, we will never allow anyone, any organisation or any political party at any time in any form to separate any part of China's territory from China. Yeah. A lot of any. But don't forget, you know, from the party's point of view, there's enemies everywhere, whether it's Uyghur separatists and Islamist terrorists in the West, Indian and the Dalai Lama and the splittest clique in the South, whether it's the Americans trying to prevent them from getting the islands, whether it's those nasty nationalists on Taiwan, whether it's the Japanese, there's potentially enemies as far as the eye can see. And so that's the need for the emphasis on all the all the ennies. But the other point I guess I wanted to make about the international stuff is the other line that she really emphasised and referenced to the international side of the equation that he reiterated and I think is quite important was a reference to a comment he made at Davos at the start of the year and essentially saying countries that close themselves off are doing themselves harm. We would never do this. We will always be open. We will be a champion of openness. And we will essentially, as he framed it, kind of be the leaders of and defenders of an open international economic order. Subtext, America's got its eye on itself. It's building walls and is no longer to be counted on as the country that keeps the global economy open and moving. Mm. And when you partner that up, it wasn't mentioned right next to one other in the speech, but he partnered that up with his comments around climate change. China has already begun to take on a leadership role in efforts to combat climate change. He certainly used the phrase leadership in there. I can't remember the exact formulation, but the signal was very clear. So on climate change and the economy, China is a leader and will be the leader. Get that, America? You guys are... Mm. You know, your last century story. How seriously is the world stage taking this then? Because China talks big, sure, but it's shown that it can follow through on a lot of what it says. Yeah, I think, firstly, this is easily the most watched National Party Congress internationally ever. I mean, five years ago when she first was introduced to the world and beyond a few real China watchers, no one really knew who he was. Even then, that Congress was kind of interesting, but seen as it was still a pretty specialist affair. These days... Okay, it's not quite the US election, but around the world, this is a story of absolutely preeminent significance. It is, in my view, without question, the most important political event of the year in global politics. Yeah. And if you just look at the number of foreign correspondents at the Congress attending Xi's speech, you get a sense of the level of interest. Now, that said, I still think, with the exception of the US, but the further you get from China, the less import is played to it. So in Western Europe or the East Coast of the United States, it's not quite got the level of attention or awareness. But this is a Division One Grade A big deal. This is being watched very closely by every single country in the world who has a significant relationship with China, which is in excess of 130 countries in the world have China as their number one trading partner. So this is this is a, a big deal. And Xi Jinping used the term new era a lot. He had a lot of slogans in his speech, but new era is one that he kept coming back to. A lot of people were wondering if uh, during the course of this Congress, we're going to get introduced into who Xi is grooming for power after him. But it seems like that's not going to be on the table. What sort of role do you think he pictures or is promoting for himself? in the future of of China. Okay, the the new era, I think, is probably the most important part of the opening speech of the Congress. The reason I say that is what he's done is, in literary terms or in just stylistic terms, is to hitch the old business of the Communist Party, which is to, quote-unquote, build socialism with Chinese characteristics in China. But they've said the task of the party is to do that for a new era. Now, Mm. it might sound like just three little words, but what this is doing is a number of things. First... Chinese history, at least the history of the PRC, 
will increasingly be seen as having three periods. The Mao period, basically the establishment of the PRC, we won't talk too much about the famines and the massacres and that sort of stuff, but there will be the, the creation of communism in China, first era. There'll be the reform era, so the era of Deng Xiaoping and a couple of other guys. <laughs> and then there'll be the new era, the Xi Jinping era, the era of global greatness. Yeah. There's that symbolism. So it's all been leading up to him. Yeah. The other thing is by saying what we're doing, the task of the parties to build socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era, says we're in a different context now. The task is a little different, but also the way we go about it's a little different. And without sounding too conspiratorial, what there has been up until now has at the elite level of the party, so right at the, the pointy end, um, have been a series of norms about what goes on. So post Mao, they instituted this practice of collective leadership because everyone felt that Mao had too much power in his own hands and that the Standing Committee of the Politburo should be collectively responsible for and act as a son of group rather than a, an individual with a bunch of underlings. Mm. You know, not dissimilar to cabinet solidarity in the Westminster system. And certainly Deng and then Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao really ran that and made that a core part of how they did things. So that's norm number one. Norm number two is you have two five-year terms at the top of the party and then you move on. Now, in the case of, for example, Jiang Zemin, he moved on after 10 years from public life and certainly from public view, but he pulled a lot of strings. And in fact, for a lot of people, he made his successor, Hu Jintao's life very difficult because he kept a lot of people in place behind him and he pulled a lot of strings from behind the scenes. What may be being lined up for this new era is those old norms and restraints, they're for the old era, they're for mm. a different period, they're for that reform and opening up period. We're in the new era now, so he might need some strong man leadership beyond 10 years. Also, as you were alluding to earlier, another normal practice of, of the past period was you groom your successor in your second Congress. So you'd at some point make very clear that your chosen successor is whoever it might be. And certainly that was the case with Xi. We all knew that she was going to be the successor years in advance. There is no successor now. And most people who watch this stuff closely don't think that we're likely to see one. So the new era is both about the idea of what China is and the role of Xi Jinping in this, but it's also about the internal party mechanics and, and what Xi's going to do. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if if he's here for a while. All right. Thanks very much, Nick. We'll uh, have to see what happens in five years' time. <laughs> or ten. <laughs> That's all the time we have today for the podcast. You can subscribe to Asia Rising on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud and please leave a review. You can follow Nick Bisley on Twitter. He's at Nick Bisley. And you can follow Latrobe Asia at Latrobe Asia. I'm Matt Smith and thanks for listening.